If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Yes, it is the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, and I am so excited to uh, kick this one off. And I'm also Keith Giles, uh, one of the co-hosts of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Uh, I'm the author of several books, including one just came out hot off the press, Jesus Unveiled, Forsaken Church as We Know It, or Ecclesia as God Intended. And yeah, bring it on. And we are, I'm joined by my co-host, Matt and Jamal. Guys, say hi. Hi, friends. This is Jamal Javanji. I am the author of the newly released and uncontroversial book Mm. called Living for a Living. Mm. And uh, it's just an honor to be back on the Heretic Happy Hour with you guys. And I'm Matt DiStefano, author of uh, no new recent book, Mm. but uh, a couple of books. It's been a while, but I do got something in the works, uh, hopefully by the end of this year. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. I think episode 52. Yep. It's a good time. Good times. That's right. That's right. Here we go. Well, I also yes. uh, I have to say we uh, this episode is proudly sponsored by our friends at the Hope Center, uh, a community resource center serving one of Alabama's poorest communities by providing a neighborhood market where neighbors can shop for food at no cost in an atmosphere of love and respect. Please visit their website at servealabama.org for more information and to make a generous donation. Hey, just real quick, um, where do you know where uh, what city in Alabama uh, that this uh, the Hope Center serves? Mm, no, no, don't know that. Sorry. Well, we're gonna we have to find that out. I would love to visit. Well, if you that. Go to, no, but if but if you go to servealabama.org, I'm sure you'll find out. Bingo! There we go. Gosh, you know what I wish we had? I wish we had a hotline or something. Oh. God. Sorry, guys. What is this amateur hour? <laughs> so, hey, guys. I, Jamal, did you fall? Did you fall? Did you have a mini stroke? What happened? Well, I was. I'm sorry. I, I apologize for that. Uh, yes. Guys, did you know that we have a hotline? I mean, I, we've. I do believe we've announced that on the show a few times. It still. It still makes our show unique. Um, so we. This is why we've made it to 52 episodes. But here's the number. The number of the hotline for anybody. Uh, so get your pens and pencils out and get ready to dial in. The number is 240-343-7379. Again, 240-343-7379. And you can text this hotline as well. So, And we do have a text. Can we do that up? Sweet. Quote, hey guys, Isaac from Denver here. Love the podcast. I was wondering if I could get your take on two things about Jesus. The first is John 14, 6, when he says that no one comes to the Father except through him. The second is Matthew 28, 16 through 20, what evangelicals call the Great Commission. Just curious what your opinions are on what Jesus meant by these mm-hmm. and what we should take away from them. There, Keep up the great show. Two great questions. Yep. Unquote. Well, um, That's can I jump in? Yeah. I'll, just, I'll go first, and then you guys can correct me. Um, so, so yeah. Um, first of all, the John fourteen six question is awesome, yeah. and I think it's so. It's you know the whole thing where Jesus says, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me." And I think Christians have made way more of that than what he meant. Um, if you read, I wrote a blog about this, so I, I, it's just fresh in my mind. Um, the, the the con the whole context for what 
is happening in that passage is Jesus starts off by saying, uh, I'm going where I'm going. You can't follow, but one day, but then you will. And then they say, uh, he says, you know, the way, and they say, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And he says, he's going to the father. And then he says, I am the way no one comes to the father, but by me. So again, in context, what he's talking about is not going to heaven when you die. He, I, I believe what he's talking about is if you want to see, because he said, because in the same context, in that same verse, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So I think what I think all he's really trying to say is, look, look at me. I am the way to understand who the father is. I am, as it says in Hebrews, the exact representation of the father. So I think that uh, I think that's really all Jesus is saying there. He's not talking about going to heaven. He's not saying I'm the only way to get to heaven. He's saying I'm the only way to really know for you guys to know what God is really like. So that, that I think that's really what he's saying. Yeah. And I, I think both passages are um, less about like uh, yes. who Jesus is metaphysically and yes. more about a way of discipleship. Like how yes. are we going to live in the world? How are we going to interact with our neighbors, our enemies, our loved ones, our, those in our faith tradition, those are not in our mm -hmm. faith tradition. It's about mm -hmm. a way of being in the world way more than it is about like, well, see, that's proof that Jesus is God. And it's like, okay, well, sure, we can we can have that discussion. But I think it's way less about that and way more about, uh, I guess, maybe what Eric Rattan would call um, a Christian ethic of other-oriented love. You know, that's that seems to be the way of discipleship that yeah. Jesus was talking about. Yeah, this is, <clears throat> this is a great – I love the fact that this caller brought up these two passages because these passages are – I think regularly used to build uh, the religion of Christianity and build the tribe and the sect of Christianity, which is, I I believe, completely the opposite of what Jesus intended. And so the idea that you know John fourteen six I am the way, um, it really doesn't mean anything the way evangelicals quote this passage. So when they say you know Jesus Jesus is the only way the Father, what does that even mean? What they mean by that is. You have right. to believe certain tenets about this historical sure. figure of Jesus in right. order to be approved and accepted by God. Um, which again, you're reading that's that that statement is coming through the grid of first of all, an idea of salvation means you don't go to hell when you die, which is completely um, that that understanding is yes. read into those statements. That that was not the mindset of Jesus when he was making those statements. Those those right. mindsets didn't even exist really. So you know, this is. Um, Again, it's not an appeal to ego. So, you know, Jesus, I do not believe Jesus was saying, hey, guys, I want everyone to like follow me as the person, me, and have this, you need to believe these things about me. And it's all about ego. So a lot of Christians read John 14, 6 as if Jesus is speaking from an egoic place, like I I am the only one. And actually, that's the excuse that Christians use to make the sect very small and to say, okay, it's only through this person. But the way I think what my understanding of what Jesus is referring to is he's referring to the Christ nature of himself. So he's saying, I am this way. And so the embodiment. So what was Jesus doing in his life is he was tapped into another essence. He was not, he was not referring to himself. So even when Jesus said, even before Abraham was born, I am. He's not really referring to his, because you've got to understand humanity has a beginning. You know, we have a birthday, we were born, you know, then you die. There's a beginning and an end. But the truest nature of who we are doesn't have a beginning and doesn't have an end. We come from God and we go back to God 
and we have a human experience in between <laughs> that sense in that in this. So there's a there's another nature that Jesus is referring to, and I believe that that would be his cosmic Christ like nature. So in that same essence, he can say, "Look, I'm the I'm this way. I'm embodying." So he had, so even when he would say, "I'm about my father's business," he's not talking about Joseph. He's talking about um, the transcendent consciousness, what we call God. He's about this higher. He's 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 connected to that, and his identity as a true self is from that place. And so it's in that that mm-hmm. he is an example to all of us. And he's saying, "Look, so I am this way. I'm embodying to you this way. So I am this way uh, to the source. Like if you want to, you know, embody, you know, look look to me because I'm showing you. Look, if and he would say this all the time. If you're if you're weary and heavy laden, come to me." Because I will give you rest. Because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's just this, this Christ essence, and I honestly think all of us can say that. When, when, as we move into our understanding of we're not like our sto- our our individual understanding of ourself isn't the story that we've created as this human identity. But when we understand actually our truest self is our divine self, the self that comes from God and that actually is connected to God and always has been, then we, we can actually say the same thing. Look, like we are the way. And, and I think, um, and that's yeah. where it gets crazy, but it's, it's not a statement from, from ego. It's not a statement from, it's, yeah. it's basically saying, look, we're appealing to the Christ yeah. nature. And I think Jesus was doing that. And the same thing with the great commission, uh, Matthew 20, go and teach people all that I've commanded. And he really didn't command anything except for love, yeah. love which is a state yeah. of being. Which is not it, it, yes, it has actions, but actions flow from an identity and understanding. And so, really, to, to teach people to do this and say, get to know who you are at the truest essence of yourself. That's my yeah. understanding. Of this. Oh, I think we covered it. I think uh, that's that's those are great answers right there. So, um, I also need to make sure everyone listening stop stop what you're doing right now. Listen to me, okay? Listen, this is really important. We have been deputized by Zondervan to pass out free Bibles to the known world. And we have, for the next six episodes, we are going to be giving one amazingly lucky person a free, free NRSV Comfort Print Bible. That, that's right, totally free. And so all you got to do to win your copy is two things. And it's so simple and so easy. Uh, a chimpanzee could do it. So I, I know you can do it. So either call the hotline with a 60-second hilarious Bible story. It's got to be 60 seconds or less. Call the hotline. Or, or on Facebook or Twitter, share your favorite episode of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. And that, that'll be the hardest thing is picking the one that's your favorite because they're, they're all so amazing. And then tag one of the hosts, but probably not Matt because he won't pay attention. And you could win a free new revised standard version comfort print Bible. And to prove that we're not, you know, making this up, Nathan Jennings, you have, you're our next winner. Woo-hoo! That's right, baby. That Bible is for free and it's on its way to your house right now. Yeah. Even though it doesn't exist, it's still on its way. <laughs> now the Bible doesn't exist. It's an empty, this is an empty, an empty box. box. Don't get too excited. Don't get too excited. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, re- we really are giving away Bibles and they're really cool. Actually, so. Yeah. I'm just fucking around. Mm. But uh, that's, um, <laughs> I guess that brings us w- with a perfect segue to uh, to our heretic of the week. It's the heretic of the week. Hi, this is Mark Mosco, and if I'd lived hundreds of years ago, I would have been burnt at the stake as a heretic many times over. Hi, Hi Mark. Mark. Hi, everyone. Hey. 
Well, Mark, thank you so much. We aren't going to burn you at the stake here because we would have to stand right along with you. So you are in good company. Oh, yeah. It's good to be here. Uh, Yeah. So what we like to do is we like to kick things off by asking, well, if you are a heretic, if you if you would have been burnt at the stake, well, why is that so? Why do people call you a heretic? I think my whole Christian life, um, which began when I was about 10, has been about reading the scriptures and then questioning why I wasn't seeing in church what I was hearing, reading in the Bible. Mm. So it actually started in my teens and it's been continuing and almost escalating in the last in the last decade or so. Yeah. So I'm in my 50s now. So it, I've, had, I've got a long history of um, being a softly spoken heretic. Yeah. So you, in other words, you've been asking too many questions. <laughs> yeah, but mainly to myself. Um, I'm not a boat rocker, but definitely asking questions and asking God questions and yeah, really trying to find out what the Bible says. Yeah. So can I ask what were some of the first questions you started asking, at least to yourself? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, actually, one that I said out loud. So um, when I made the decision to follow Jesus, which was actually a very precise moment with, with quite a, a wonderful experience surrounding that, I started reading John because that's what I was told I needed to do, the Gospel of John. And then I read the Book of Acts. And you know, in the Acts, you hear about uh, people being baptised. And in our church, we had infant baptism, and I had never heard of our baptism. So as um, as a young person, I said, you know, to a, a group, I said, I, I don't think I believe in infant baptism. And they literally made an appointment with the pastor and I went into his office. I still remember it because it was quite an intimidating experience because he's got this library, this huge library of books and like this thick desk which he was sitting behind. And here I was, a, quite a shy girl. And he was explaining his ideas of infant baptism, why it was right. And he didn't convince mm. me. And I told him that he wasn't convincing me. And I'm not having a go at anyone who thinks that infant baptism is a good thing, but I can't see it in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that was the beginning. So that so that, that was essentially the beginning. Um, I, I, I've been following your work for a while, and it's gotten, um, you've been really profoundly impactful for how I understand maybe some of the women's issues and how it relates to the church and how it relates to Paul. Um, how did you get into uh, that as a, as a focus yeah. in what you write about a lot? Uh, well, that was accidental, I think, um, if anything is accidental. So I had um, a blog and um, actually it started as a MySpace, but then it developed into a blog where I just wrote things um, basically stuff that I was reading the Bible and things that I thought were interesting. And then uh, whenever I wrote something about women, um, the site's statistics just peaked and I realised that other people were interested. And I was just finding this stuff out. I had no firm beliefs. In fact, um, true story, when I started on this road towards egalitarianism, I fully expected to come up against some verse that said, no, actually, women aren't completely equal or women can't do everything Mm -hmm. that men can do in the church. I'm still looking for that verse. I haven't found it. 
Um, so it really was a journey. And but I saw that people were interested in what I was writing, so I just wrote more about that. And also, I was genuinely interested in this. I was exploring it for yeah. myself, and it just grew from that. Hmm. Well, Mar- Marga, first of all, thank you for sharing. Uh, it's Jamal, by the way, and I. Um, hi, Jamal. Hi. Yeah, it's it's really good to have you on the podcast, and I really appreciate the work that you you're doing in this area. You know, here's a question. Okay, and this is kind of a hypothetical. I think, first of all, you do a great job of making the case that Paul was not, um, you know, was not like a, a misogynist. <laughs> so, yeah, not at all. Uh, and very much uh, broke with uh, the the, um, the Mideast tradition in that sense of the patriarchal mindset. He was It was definitely, I think, people who were influenced with the ethos of Jesus, the kingdom of God, are obviously going to break from that yeah. patriarchal mindset. But here's a, just a hypothetical question for you if you were to find out mm-hmm. let's just say you were to discover that the, the the bible as we have it today does speak um and give restrictions on women in ministry would you be okay with that even if, if you came to the conclusion you're like okay yeah actually i think paul was restricting women um in ministry i know that, yeah. that that's not the case but w- would you be okay with that it's really hard for me to answer that honestly now because I've seen how wonderful it is to know that 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 isn't the message of the New Testament. But I I can honestly say, and I think I mentioned that previously, that when I began this journey, I actually did expect to find something that said no. No, actually there are different, that there are limitations on what women can do. And I was okay with that. I was expecting that and I had lived with that my whole life and I still totally love God and I I was really active in ministry. I was doing the things that I, um, in my churches, I didn't have too many limitations on what I could do, mainly because I didn't want to be a senior pastor, I guess. But um, I, I did think that I fully believed that there were limitations and I was cool with that. But now, knowing what I know now, um, it would come as a shock and I think I would be disappointed. But mm-hmm. but God hasn't changed. God is good. And if that really is God's way, then, um, yeah. So it's a really hard question for me to answer. Sure. I, I totally understand. The only reason I ask that question is because I've, this, and this has just been a dilemma of mine. It's just an observation is that, um, people like Bible reading communities. And I know, I mean, I can't speak for Australia, but I would imagine that there's some similarities, but I know in the, here in the United States, it's there have, and again, there's exceptions to this, but when it comes to challenging systems of belief or systems of thought that have been oppressive towards people, it's the Bible reading communities, people who, who cherish the Bible that tend to be on the, on the back end of uh, not on the right side of yeah. history and they come along eventually and i just wonder is there something about the way we're that we are perceiving what is like are, are we so disconnected from our humanity our essence that we're that we're so putting this trust in this mm-hmm. in the book of the bible that we have to so you know figure out what it says because you know even though it may violate our spirit that's why i think so many things so much discrimination is justified using the bible because it's uh 
you know, it's, 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 we're looking to yeah. it for our authority. And I know that's what we're taught, but I just wonder if that, could that be a reason that we're struggling in this area? Yeah. Um, I grew up in, in a reformed tradition and I, the good thing that I got from that was they had a tremendous respect for the Bible. And I still have a tremendous respect for the Bible. I, I do read it every day. I study it. I, I've learned to read it in Greek. Um, but one thing that maybe my church didn't teach me is um, this idea that the Bible um, trumps common sense and kindness. Um, so part of my hermeneutic um, is, you know, understanding the language, understanding the, the culture, but also common sense and kindness. And I've, I'm really disturbed that simple common sense is, mm -hmm. is missing from some interpretations. Um, I'm not sure if I'm answering your yeah. question, though. Oh, yeah. sure, totally, absolutely. Um, because, you know, I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard, people say, well, women have to submit even to abusive husbands mm -hmm. and then somehow <clears throat> magically their marriage will get better um, because mm -hmm. it's almost as though the Bible is magic. And I actually do believe the Bible is is a spiritual, I know God has spoken to me through the Bible, um, but, but you know, it's almost as though that they leave their humanity, their common sense and their kindness, some people, when, when they're interpreting scripture. And it's because they really, really believe that they're honouring God in doing that. That's one thing I know because I've been on that side. Um, I've, I struggled for years over this idea about keeping the Sabbath because to me the Bible was really clear that we have to keep the Sabbath on the Sabbath. No one else was doing that of those people around me. I agonised over mm. that because I wanted to please God. Um, and there's been other um, passages where I've agonised over because I honestly thought that I would please God and that was the most important thing in the world and it still is um, if I followed what I thought the Bible was saying. But, you know, we really please God when we're kind to our fellow human beings. Right. The way we treat people is so important to God. It, I, if anything trumps anything, it, it's kindness to, to human beings. Right. That's the message of the Bible. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's keeping the law. Of, mm. yeah, yeah, the law of love is the law of mm. Christ. And that's, that's really the most important thing. That's, what, that's all that really counts. In fact, isn't there a verse where in Paul says in Galatians, I think, where he says the only thing that counts yeah. is faith expressing itself through love. And it's the, I remember the first time I saw that verse, it was just an epiphany for me because no one had ever once pointed that verse out to me. I'd never heard a sermon on that, but it was like such a powerful verse. The only thing that counts is yeah, faith I expressing itself through love. And and I, yeah, I think that's that's what has to happen. Unfortunately, I think we've got it flipped. We think it's it's faith expressing itself through love, or love expressing itself, itself through faith. It's like it's more like we justify uh, we justify our behavior at first, and then whatever that behavior is, because I because it's biblical, quote unquote, oh, um, yeah. well, that is love. Yeah, even though it's not really love because the person isn't receiving it as love, right? Yeah, I've had, you know, people say the most horrendous things to me. Yes. And then they'll sign it off with some sort of lovey type <laughs> yeah. 
sign up. And I'm going, no, that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's not no, love. It's not. <laughs> but, see, but they will go to bed yeah. that night thinking uh, that they did show mm-hmm. love because uh, well, right. I told you the truth, you know. Uh, it's the same as those, those guys, right. that, those preachers that, that will stand up with signs saying, you know, God hates fags and you're going to burn in hell mm-hmm. forever. And then they'll say, well, I'm, I'm telling you this because I love you. No, I'm not feeling any yeah. love at all coming from you. That yeah. love is not the beginning of the motivation in your heart for what you're doing. It's you are doing it and now you're calling it love. And that's, there's a very different thing going on there. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's what we do. Yeah, uh, it's one of the um, disturbing things is getting comments from brothers and sisters that are vile. Mm-hmm. And I usually just delete them. Very few ever get under my skin. And, and in fact, some are so vile, they're almost amusing because it's like, wow. Um, but that's sad. That is really sad. Yeah, it, it, it truly is sad. And it's, and it's sad when... If Christianity is to be anything, it's it's to be uh, an other-oriented uh, love towards others, and it's just sad that you could you can almost play like the game of well, if everyone's right that that are saying these things, but you you, you still kind of miss the point, even if you happen to be right, like you still miss the point of love. Yeah, and and the thing is, so like if if churches were just honest and they say we want to do this paradigm of church leadership of male only leadership and they said well we're basing that on a model that we see in jerusalem or in corinth in the second century um you know i I would kind of pay that but when they start saying no this is the only model and every other model of church leadership is heretical that's when i think we have a problem because if we look in the new testament we do see um, well, we don't see women in Jerusalem. We don't see women in the church in Antioch. But right. when we get up into Asia Minor and Corinth and Rome, then there's a, there's quite a few women in very prominent roles. So the, the real problem is when people are saying, no, there is only one way right. and all other ways are heretical or bad or they'll lead to the demise of humanity as we know it. That, that we have a problem. <laughs> people say that. I mean, they do. It's the end of humanity as we know it. Female pastors in the pulpits, women leading Bible studies with men. Oh, yeah. it's the end of the world. Yeah. Do you? <laughs> okay, maybe not in those words, but I've heard people allude to those ideas definitely do you do you think it has to go back to how a lot of people see god because we always seem to see god i mean we use like male only pronouns like we see god as like when we talk Mm -hmm. about god's power it's described as a very like almost like huge dude with muscles you know so do you think it has to go with how we see god and then if we see god this way then it would make sense that our ecclesia would follow suit does that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Do you think that's going in, going into that whole dynamic or is there something else going on, do you think? Yeah, I'm sure that that must, um, that must affect the way some people at least see the church because, as we know, uh, a well-known minister said a few years ago that, um, did you say Christianity was masculine or God has given Christianity a masculine feel? Um, so some people do have this view of God as masculine um, and that makes sense 
because there are a lot of male masculine metaphors used for God, but there are also feminine metaphors used for God. Right. But but they're they're really reading sort of masculinity into the text because you know God isn't a guy. I mean Jesus is. <laughs> um, and but that's something that I find really hard to um because I don't really see God as a guy. I don't think I ever have. Mm. Um I really actually do feel God's presence in my life and that there's no gender. Right. I just don't feel a gender. I feel his presence. And I do use masculine pronouns for God. Um, it's something that I've discussed with, with my readers and I discuss on my blog um, because there are limitations of language. Um, and and so here's the funny thing. Some people will say that the Bible only uses masculine words for God um, how can I explain this quickly? So like in, in Greek, you can words are um, nouns, for instance, and participles are either masculine, feminine, or neuter. But some mm-hmm. words for God, like his voice, voice is a feminine word. So when like God is speaking at Jesus' baptism, it's all feminine words. It's a feminine participle wow. of this voice speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it wasn't a girly voice. I, I have no idea no. what the voice sounded like, um, but it's feminine words. And um, I'm trying to think of any other examples. So I think we really need to be careful that we don't um, mistake grammatical gender with actual gender because God has no actual gender. And a lot of people make a big right. deal about the Holy Spirit, those words being feminine because the word um, ruach, which also yeah, means right. wind yeah, and right, breath, yeah. is feminine, grammatically yeah. feminine. And I know a lot of people take great comfort in that, but I personally don't even think of the spirit as being particularly feminine because it's grammatical gender. Uh, the spirit's neuter, pneuma, in the New Testament. Um, and Or when he's called a parakletos in John's, um, in John's writings, that's a masculine word. So it changes. The Holy Spirit is used with feminine words in the Old Testament and with neuter and with masculine words in the Greek New Testament. It doesn't change who the Spirit is. Yeah, yeah. It, I think the challenge is definitely, it, you're, you're definitely hitting on it because the, the challenge is language. It's the limitation of speech. Yeah. In other words, God is, we've, we've talked about this on the podcast before, like we did a, an episode called God, God Doesn't Have a Penis, yeah. which seems, which is a shocking thing mm. to say, but of course we say, we said it that way because we wanted to emphasize the point, yeah. you know, and people will, people will say, well, I know that. Yeah, but you say you know that, but you keep saying totally. you, God is a human. Totally. And, and you, you're offended, let's say, if you're reading The Shack or you watch the movie The Shack and God uh, manifests as a black woman. I don't know if it's because she's black or because it's a woman, but uh, either way, you're upset when, when like, well, but you'll say, you know, that God doesn't have gender, but you're not offended if God is portrayed as male, but you are offended if God is portrayed mm. as female. And, and yet again, like you're saying, it goes all the way, it goes back down to like, I've tried to do this on my own writing as well. Like I'll, I'm trying not to always say he, yeah. right. Because I don't, I don't want to see, I don't want to play along with that. But it's sort of like it's so clunky yeah. with the language to basically say God every time. That's I exactly say what God, I'm doing. Yeah, know, in my writing, I'm trying to get right, the he's right. out, but it doesn't really work. Yeah, 
Right. So honestly, it's it's more about yeah. the limitation of language because it's like you don't want to say it because now what you've done is you've made God mm-hmm. not personal and you've made God some sort of a yeah. thing or an impersonal force. And he's not. And he, I said, I just said it again. It's it's God isn't an it, but he's also yeah. not a he and yeah. also not a she. So it's sort of this, it's the challenge of language. God is, in other words, someone that's beyond, God transcends language and transcends the ability of language to uh, apprehend. And it's that, it, but it's precisely that inability for language to apprehend God that leads to this error of us thinking that God, well, we have to pick something. In a patriarchal society, uh, you're probably going to pick he. Yeah. And the Bible does use he a lot because I can't speak too much for Hebrew, but in, in the Greek language, the masculine um, grammatical gender is the default grammatical gender when referring to people and the word Lord, kurios, um, and other words to refer to God, theos, are grammatically masculine, so they need masculine pronouns. But it, it's it's grammar. Right. In other words, that's what the grammar yeah. does. And we made right. those grammar yeah. rules. And in other words, and those rules weren't made to describe God. They were made to describe apples and oranges right. and shares and, and your uncle Bob, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I, think, I think that's the point I was trying to make is that if we're limiting our understanding of God to the text, then we're, then we're going to be confused about this because it's like, well, the, the, we're looking mm. at the grammar, it's masculine or feminine grammar, but but I think I think really where we get we we this is where looking at creation can be powerful. And you, I always I like to say, uh, you know, that God is gender full because you know that's what you see reflected in the creation, male and female. So this both of these genders would reflect. So I, I like to use them interchangeably. Um, but it's it is it is the thing I think we're up against is when we say okay, the text itself is where we're getting all of our understanding of the divine. That's where I feel like. <clears throat> the, the text. I have no problem with the text, but I, I'm, I'm wondering if there the text doesn't isn't wasn't invented so that we could look to it as opposed to looking to the created order, the the creation itself, our, our own lives, our own uh, our own heart, our own spirit in this matter. Because <clears throat> just from that place, we would understand. Well, God must be expressed. God must be just as much mother as yeah. it, as God is just as much father. So, I mean, that's just natural uh, line yeah, of thing. Even Calvin says that. Calvin um, says that a couple of times, that God has expressed himself as father and mother um, in his commentaries. So it's not a new idea. It's not a shocking idea. It's in the yep. scriptures. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a fascinating topic. And unfortunately, it's one that, um, like I was just saying, you know, because it's come up again uh, recently in, in Christian circles, I see the Southern Baptist uh, convention churches are wrestling with this and people making comments. I just saw a comment today about how, um, I've got who said it It was some, a man, some pastor that said something like, if you're in a church with a female pastor, she's not a pastor and that's not a church. And, uh, Um, I've seen that one. And and unfortunately, again, it's these ideas. And again, we know it goes back to, um, a misunderstanding of of two problematic verses that Paul wrote. But again, it's also mm-hmm. ignoring dozens of other verses that are very pro-women. And and the bottom line is we get to choose, which which we're going to emphasize, 
Um, we don't have to be handcuffed by one or two things. Um, but unfortunately, we, uh, I think it just boils down to these are the things we prefer to believe. So we, we're happy to wear those blinders um, because, oh, hey, I finally found a verse that I think supports what I already want to believe. And therefore, um, you know, that's enough. That's enough for me. But um, yeah. and it's it's really sad because all of Paul's general teaching on ministry, and we see this in Romans 12, 6 to 8, Ephesians 4, verse 11, um, 1 Corinthians 12, I think, anywhere in there. And even when he just alludes to what happens in in meetings in the first century where, where people can just participate and contribute even spontaneously. So we see that in Colossians 3.16 and 1 Corinthians 14.26. If we just read these verses where Paul's just speaking generally, there's no hint that there are limitations for women. Right. right. And then it's for everyone. Yeah, exactly. And 1 Corinthians is um, filled with Paul giving instructions for men and women who prophesy. All he's concerned about yeah. is how women how women do it, not if they do it. Um, yes. And if, but let me tell you, if they're prophesying in church, they're going to be speaking. And if they speak of anything yeah. from the Spirit, guess what? You might learn something and you might be taught. Um, yeah. but, um, anyway, you know, this has been a great conversation. I, I, I have been dying though, to ask you, uh, our, our third question, because, um, I'm excited to hear what you're going to, what you're going to say. Um, what yeah. is it that you're, are you working on something right now, uh, that you're excited about that you could share with us and how can people, uh, get in touch with you and, and learn more about what you're doing? Okay. Um, at the moment, my life is really full with family. So we have a four-month-old plus mm. other grandchildren and they just take up all my time. Um, and, and even my parents at the other end of the spectrum, they're not doing too well. So my family are really taking up a lot of my time. So I'm not making great plans. Um, mm. I'd, I'd like to, though, because there are a couple of grants going um for theological research and i keep saying really what yes there's two two types of grants um Mm. going i'm thinking i'd like some of that because i spent so much time on the internet and i don't get paid for it and i've actually cut down my paid working hours to do what i do so to get a, a bit of bit more money would be lovely anyway so i am looking for projects i do have projects in my um like I want a project, but I just can't think of any. Um, I'll probably write a book, but I don't feel particularly motivated to do that uh, because I'm really happy with what I do with my blog and and the extension of that on social media. I'm really content with that because, yeah, it's very fulfilling. Mm. I get to, um, yeah, meet and not meet on, I mean meet online, but anyway, um, so... I am on social media with my name, Marg Moscow, um, on Twitter and on Facebook. I don't really do Instagram. And my website's called margmoscow.com. So, yeah, I, it shouldn't be too hard to find me as long as you spell my last name right. Well, how, do, how do you spell it? It's M-O-W-C-Z-K-O. Oh, wow. Lots I love of consonants. Yeah, Z. Z is great. Yeah, <laughs> for Americans, that's the letter Z, I believe. Right? Oh, okay, sure, sure. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't even picking up why that was amusing. Yeah, it's Z here. <laughs> oh, that, that's great. 
Awesome. awesome. Mark, thank you for coming on the show. We really, really appreciate your time. Oh, it's been great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you. Mm. That was good. Great, yep. That was great yeah. stuff. Hmm. And she had a wonderful yeah, accent, uh, too. Wonderful accent. Yeah, yeah was she, she from the South? Or? <laughs> right. Very South. So, Very south. South of, uh, yeah. Southern Hemisphere is what I meant. Yeah. Yes, uh, down, down under. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, but you know, that's that's like the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom of God is upside down from the rest of uh, the world. <laughs> she's uh she's ahead of the game. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it, great, great stuff there. Um, which I, I think a lot of what she talked about, you know, kind of leads us into our our topic. We're doing a series on God and nature and character of God and how can we talk about God without talking about one of the probably the biggest you know, character trait of God, which is that God is love. And uh, that is, I think, more accurately, not just love in sort of a Valentine's Day, you know, romantic Cupid kind of, you know, mushy, kissy kind of love, although it can be that too, of course, it's, it's all wrapped into love. But when we talk about God being love, we're really more specifically, accurately at talking about kenosis, right, which is this... Um, self-giving love that puts others first right and um and that the needs and the desires and then uh the joy of the other person right. ahead of your own yeah and so yeah. well it's just funny like um when we do talk about uh you know we do this business in christianity where we say god is love but um and and then we have to uh, uh, qualify it, I guess, with how the Bible describes love. And then we go to all these verses and we have this pick and choose methodology. And we put this picture together of what love is. But really, like if we did turn to the Bible, um, which doesn't which exist. Right. I know. But I know. I know. But bear with me. Uh, when we <laughs> when we do turn to the Bible, there is this idea of what what God's love is like. And it is, I think, embodied in this um, canonic spirit, this other oriented self-giving um love and so yeah it isn't necessarily like all lovey-dovey but it's more um like action oriented um it includes things like justice i believe and uh, and and things of that nature that sometimes we create this false dichotomy like love and justice are mutually exclusive but i i think i think it's um it's a difficult type of love it's hard to oh, yeah. love others, especially your enemies. It's hard to do this, but that is, it, it, you know, that's how I believe what the father's heart is like. Um, yeah. yeah. And, it's, and it's definitely going back to the question that you know, we were answering a minute ago when Jesus says this, you know, um, if you see me, you've seen the father and I'm the way to the father. Like, I think that's what he, that's, again, this is part of what he's saying is like, look at me. What do you see me? You know, you, 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 he's saying to the disciples, specifically in that in, in that conversation in John 14. You know, if you you guys have been with me for three years, you've seen me, right? He's, he's, he even appeals to them. You've been with me all this time and you don't know me because if you know me, you know the Father. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, he means, uh, look, you've seen me being, you know, this, this incredibly loving, giving, humble, serving person. And that is what God is like. And, uh, and that's even to the point of going to the cross, right? Which is where he was headed when he said this, like, um, yeah, it, that's just that reality of, and I, I hate this whole thing too, Matt, like you alluded to when I hear Christians say God is love, but 
you know, and they always want to correct it with, well, but God is also a God of wrath. Well, hold on a second. We have verses that say God is love, but I, there's no verse that says God is wrath. Um, in fact, w- when you go and look at verses about wrath, it says his wrath lasts for a moment, a second, but his love endures forever. So that's a, that's a big difference. You know what I mean? Uh, even if there is any kind of wrath, and we can maybe do a uh, conversation about what that even is. But most of the time when you look at wrath, wrath is actually the fruit of our own uh, unwillingness to to accept and receive God's love. So, Yeah, I, I think um, it's interesting. There's a the passage in 1 John, I believe, it, uh, John the Apostle says, you know, that there is no fear in love. Mm-hmm. Because the one who fears is still fearing punishment. They haven't been perfected by this understanding right. of love. And really it's an it's interesting that this writer would say that just to say, oh yeah, if you because they're <laughs> coming from a Jewish perspective, you know, they're so much fear-based, you know, all the old commandments were prohibitive in nature. There was all this fear-laced understanding of things. And of course, Jesus embodied something quite different. So this I this this understanding of love, love is not something, and I, I would say this to somebody, let's say you did read a verse in the Bible, which that which by the way, didn't exist previous to the fourth century. But let's just say you read a verse in the, this book that people made up and said, okay, God is wrath. I would say if you understand love, then you you learn to reject that. It doesn't matter what the what the thing says. Love is not something you read about and understand. It is, a, it is an awareness that you come into from the place of, it, it's something that it's a revelation from the, from a, from the place of your, your, your seat of self, the place where God is. It's a place, it's your in, indwelling place. And this is how, this is why th- that people can come. It, it took a while for evolution to happen in, in which people could come to this understanding. But love is, um, I do find this to be quite interesting when it comes to um, when people say, well, God is love, but God is also these other things, you know? And it's like, well, well, the only reason people say that is because they're coming from this place where they're trying to make sense of all these different concepts that are communicated in throughout the Bible. You know, there are things that, you know, some of the writers did come from a perspective where um, the, the quote unquote wrath of God seemingly was very, you know, was, was brutal, exclusive, that some people were left out of the love of God and all these kinds of things. And they're trying to make sense of all that. But the more you come into, like I never, for me personally in my own journey, um, I wasn't able to make sense of all of that by reading the Bible. The Bible didn't actually help me come into, oh, this is how God's love works. And, you know, really it was a revelation that transcended what I was reading that helped me um, unpack and deconstruct from some of these other unhelpful things that are communicated in the Bible. That's why I, that's why the Bible actually, I don't think, has really helped a lot of people over the years. I think if you, if you, if you look at church history, when the Bible came into being, you know, we really entered a, a dark ages. The, 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 I, the, the movement of Christianity, the way, whatever, like it really became monolithic when it wasn't that before. So it's just – a great point, man. I, didn't, I haven't even thought about that, but that is, that is a great point. You could actually trace the history of Christianity – and right about the time we canonized the Bible is also when we started putting people on the rack yeah. and uh, torturing people. And yeah, yeah, that's well, it's a, it's a political tool for control. You had to yeah, use yeah. it. This was needed. You know, they figured out at some point the Roman. You know, this he was an you know Constantine was an adept Roman political ruler. He knew, man, you can't really. You have to model. You have to make everything kind of uniform in order to really get your 
get your hands around it and control it. And I don't know if that was his conscious thinking, but that's the, that's the quest for any institution is to, is, is to begin to coalesce and bring all these disjointed parts together. And the way you do that is we'll tell you what's acceptable. We'll tell you what is approved and this is what you believe in all the other things, you know, we'll just, uh, exclude those. And that's, I, th- I think that's what happened, um, in history because of that process. Yeah. Which is, which is just so ironic given that the main character of this book is this, <laughs> is this guy who <laughs> blew apart all, all boxes, right? Um, like you can't, you can't put Jesus or the Christ or, or any of this into a box. You can't put kenosis into a box. Like it's, you can't like legislate it. It's this like, mm-hmm. um, you know, like when Jesus says like, my kingdom is not of this world. Um, it's like, it just transcends all these labels and, um, dividing lines that we draw. And it's just so ironic that in that Bible, which has been used as a tool and an instrument to keep people oppressed, that really the like the meta narrative of the story is supposed to blow that apart. You're supposed to get to, I, I think, you're supposed to get to a place where you're like, wow, this God that we worship is completely other in that that God is always other oriented. And mm-hmm. I think maybe this gets into a different topic, like maybe Trinitarian theology, but it's like the father is always given the authority to the son and the son is always given it back. And the yep. Holy spirit is like this energy that moves between them, always other mm-hmm. giving. It's like, damn people. Can you not get this? This is the story. Yeah. This is the, 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 this is a big part of the yeah, thing. Well, see, and this, this is the, like, yeah. And, and this is the, uh, the thing that frustrates me with really the development of the early church, uh, the, the later church really, you know, the, around the time of Constantine and all that stuff is when things start getting more, uh, the concrete starts to harden and things become more about power and control. It becomes more political. And, and we write, you know, we, we codify these creeds, which are completely mm-hmm. leave out. Uh, and Christianity begins to really uh, more and more begin to leave out orthopraxy. It's only about what you believe. It's only about believing the right stuff. It's not really at all about the way you behave, the way you, your life reflects this, this character of Christ. Like, you know, Philippians 2, Five through eight, which is probably one of the most uh, powerful verses, you know, that talks about not just about. Here's the thing: it doesn't just talk about the kenosis of Jesus. It's it's meant right. to be about because of the kenosis of Jesus. Where's yours? Like you, you need to be reflecting this too, right? So Philippians two, uh, five through eight says, "Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who through the, though he was in the form of God." did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. He took the form of a slave. He was born in in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Like that, that's supposed to be, yes, Jesus did that. That not that great? Jesus did that. Right. So why, so when are we going to start doing this? Well, like, I'll, I'll tell you. Yeah, I can tell you when we can we'll start doing this. Okay, so Philippians two, I love this passage. By the way, is such an intriguing passage. Um, so let the same mind be in in us that was in Christ Jesus. So I I find that to be fascinating. So what is that mind? So the mind is although he was in the form of God. Some some translations say although he was equal with God. Okay, this is where it gets really heretical. Okay, how can we have that same mind? We have to understand who we are. Again, I come back even to our last episode where we talked about the incarnation, divinity becoming humanity. That was the story of Jesus that all Christians would agree on that. 
Mm-hmm. What all Christians would not agree on is, is that our story? I would contend, and this is where I think Christianity has made a fatal flaw, that Christians made this passage all about Jesus when this passage is about all of us have the same mind. Well, how can we have the same mind? Because we are the same. So this can also be said of us. We have the same mind as, oh, I'm in the form of God. I am in, you know, I'm I'm equal with God. However you want to put this, we are the likeness and image of God. Yet when you know that, so this is what Jesus embodied in the this is the way that he embodied. He knew I am totally, I am totally the image and likeness of God. I'm totally, I'm there's no sense of so that's why we don't need to grasp. So the next passage, although he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality, equality with God as something to be. This translation says exploited, but I like another translation that says he did not reco- he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. grasped. And I love that word grasped because why would you grasp for something that you have? You don't. You don't need to. So this goes back to the story. If we go back to Adam and Eve, when, I mean, again, it was I get it. It was a story, but the deeper metaphor is what's important here. What was suggested to them was that they were, even though they were already created. As, a, as humans, in the image and likeness of God, it was suggested to them that they needed something to become like God. They needed this knowledge of the tree, you know, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They needed that to become like God. So that that introduced a need to grasp. So lust, grasp, however you want to put that, is a sense of I need to attain something outside of myself that I don't yet have. Now, I believe Jesus did not operate in that perspective. He knew who he was. He was already like God. He was already equal with God. He was already the manifestation of God on the planet. He knew this. So therefore, he could, he didn't, he didn't, the powers, all the power things that the ego does to, to become significant, to puff itself up, to prove itself. He didn't have to operate in that. He could become a servant and to love. And this mind we can also have for ourselves because we too are also, I would say, equal with God, the manifestation of God on the earth. And therefore, we don't need to grasp for that significant because you don't get more significant than that, by the way. Yeah. You can look at them and go, hey, man, I am literally, you want to know what God's like? Look at me. You, If you truly see my essence, this is what God is like. I don't have to prove anything. <laughs> oh, but here, here's the thing too, though, Jamal. I, I love what you're saying because here's the thing. If Jesus had um, decided oh my gosh, I've had this realization that I am equal to God. And then his reaction wasn't then to move on to this kenosis, this self-giving love. Guess what? Then he would not have been behaving the way God behaves because God is self-giving love. And so if we are truly um, living out of this connection, this reality, this identity of being, uh, of having Christ in us, right? Then Again, the evidence of that, this really does go back to the conversation we had in the last podcast. The evidence of that is that we then go and do the things that, that Jesus did and the things that the Father does, because Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, which is what? Self-giving love. Well, yeah. And what does that look like? I mean, he, in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he concludes that whole thing in, in chapter five with be perfect as your Father is perfect. And it's like, well, it sort of raises the question, how is, what is the perfection of God look like? I mean, how does it practically right. work out in the day to day? Well, that's what Matthew five is. It's 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 blessing those who curse you, which is super difficult because <laughs> I could be a snarky asshole and I can I, I can clap back as as yeah. as good a, a, as anyone. But okay, 
I'm really taking that serious. And I'm really like, okay, well, how does the father behave? Mm-hmm. He blesses those who curse him. Uh, he loves enemies. Right. He turns the other cheek uh, or she, you know, whatever. Because, when you, yeah, because yeah. when you are love, how can you do anything other than love? And no matter, and right. and, and it has nothing to do with the, the object. The, the, the person that, that you're loving, they can be the, an absolute asshole. So what? I'm loved. I have to love them. Well, I have a personal story I'd love to share about this. Okay. So, <laughs> well, first of all, I love the passage you, you, you brought up, Matt. Uh, this is um, not a joke, I hope. Please don't. No, no, no. It's, it's not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, you know, like, and this is just, this is just a personal thing in my own life. Uh, and I love that passage, by the way, that you brought up, Matt, about, uh, you know, where Jesus is saying, be perfect for your heavenly father is perfect. And that, first of all, that passage has been used to, you know, to bludgeon people to death. <laughs> like, so it's a sense of, oh, I have to really, I really have to try to be perfect. Well, people... The reason that seems like a heavy passage to people is because their understanding of perfection is performance based. When I don't believe that's right. that's it at all. Right. So the the key to perfection is actually nothing. Uh, the key to perfection is doing nothing. It's simply being. It's just it's getting to that place where you're just like I'm just being. Be perfect. You don't have to do perfect. You just be perfect because you are perfect. Because how is God perfect? What makes God perfect? Just being consciousness, isness itself. So I think there's a place where when you really when you really understand your own perfection, you you are perfect. So you can be perfect because you are perfect. <clears throat> it really takes away any kind of. And again, in this life, I think we're learning how to operate in this. It's a process, but it really takes away offense. And, you know, again, I've, like anybody else, I've been offended throughout my life many times, but there are moments of bliss where you will, you're just not offendable. You're just like, yeah, just, and there's, if there's one guy that he used to, who used to always offend me, it's my dad. I just kid you not. This guy, this guy would offend me without trying, um, just by the the way he views life and views me and all that kind of thing. So I was recently on a trip back to Ohio um, to visit family and um, and to and to introduce my beautiful bride Taylor to my family, so uh, they couldn't make it out for the wedding. So we went out there and I'm sitting, you know, so we're visiting with my parents and you know my dad is I love my dad I really do I really do love him and um, but you know he. Yeah, it comes from a perspective, and um, my dad used to be Muslim, converted to um, very hardcore uh, Roman Catholicism, and so you know, we're sitting there just having a nice visit, and my dad's like, you know, basically said, "Okay, so what what new thing are you twisting now?" I mean, he literally asked me that question: "What new what new thing about Jesus are you twisting into so, to so he, New Age philosophy?" So he listens to the podcast. No, no, he doesn't. Oh, okay. No, he doesn't listen to the podcast. But he basically asked me this question, and I'm just being very vulnerable. He's like, what new thing are you twisting? And I was trying to understand the question because my dad doesn't usually ask questions. He just tells me what I'm, where I'm wrong. And so I was like, but that was a dig. That wasn't a real question. I just said, huh. And then he said, you know, there is no grace or salvation outside of the, the Roman Catholic Church. That's what he told me. Oh, wow. And as I'm sitting there, I'm just like, honestly, I was just being. I was in a place where I was appreciating my dad's fervor and heartfelt concern and conviction for the truth. Now, I don't believe what he was saying. However, I, it, it, was, it was amazing. I was just overcome with absolute um, delight in how he thinks. Not, not that I think it's helpful, but I, do be, but I see the heart where it's coming from. And it really was like, this guy really cares about like he actually care he actually believes this he cares and 
and I and I actually feel like I've received some of those qualities in my own life because I have things I'm passionate about that I care about, you know. And it's I was just like, wow, I just like, like, the, Bible. <laughs> like the fact that the Bible doesn't exist, or that, that Mary Magdalene was a very nice woman, and you know. So I'm just these things. I just was overcome with that. I'm like, okay. So in this moment, there's a I had I had this feeling of being perfect. Like there's there was no. It was perfect. I was like his. I just listened to him. I was able to appreciate his beauty as a mm-hmm. as a man and and a, as a man who loves even even though it was coming through a grid that I don't agree with or you know it just it just was interesting that I didn't feel like I had to go back and apologize for my reaction to that statement because I could have in the past and I did I I would react to that and was hurt by that and fight back with that and you know again there's time and place for conversation I do believe that but. Um, that wasn't it. And I just remember sitting there going, you know, uh, you know, my dad's 83 too, you know, he'll be 83 this year. And I was like, I'm not going to, the, the last, vi- if this is the last visit I have with him, I'm not, I'm not going to end it this way. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to about an argument, you know? And, um, I don't know. There was just a sense of emptying. Like I didn't need, I could, I could take on this, the form of a servant in that place and just say, you know, what my dad needs in this moment is for me to, to just be present with him and to honor him as a, as a human, yeah. as my dad. And um, I don't have to take on any of that stuff. You know, I can just, just be with him, be perfect and remain in the state of love for, even for him. Yeah. Well, and I love that. Um, I love that the passage in Luke, Luke six, the parallel passage to the be perfect in Matthew is it uses the word mercy. So it's like you were merciful towards the dig that your yeah. dad gave you, right? Like you could have clapped back. You could have hit him with something hard, you know, whatever. Um, but no, it was, it was a more of a posture of, of mercy towards that. Um, I would say probably misdirected sure. ideology, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And the thing, the thing that's also awesome is, um, it doesn't happen <clears throat> again. I think a lot of times our human nature gets in the way, right. Our, um, our sort of default reflexive knee jerk reactions sort of get in the way of like wanting to defend ourselves, wanting to prove ourselves right. You know, so someone, someone contradicts us, someone insults us, you know, we want to give it right back to them. Um, but the more we can really, the more we can successfully, um, like remain in that place of understanding who we are in Christ. And then we, and then we, we can then not respond in in that emotional knee jerk way, but we can either respond like you're saying, Jamal, in a way, in a place of peace where we don't feel the need to justify or defend ourselves or, if we can even go the next step and and bless that person, even though they're cursing us, even though they're insulting us, even though they're slapping us on the, on the cheek, right? If we can turn around and bless them instead, I'm telling you, the few times that I've been able to do that, the the response is astounding. Like people do not know what to do with that because it is so unexpected. It is so, um, you know, it just comes out of nowhere. Like, wait a minute, hold on a second. I just insulted you and you're blessing me or I just did this horrible thing to you and you just instantly forgive me and move on. Like nothing happened. Like that doesn't happen. People don't do that. And so to be able to model back to someone something that isn't expected, and it is this unexpected sort of uh, this kenosis, right? I mean, really that's what it is. Uh, It's powerful. It's profound. It's amazing. And it, and it really does set people back. You know, people then go back to their corner and go, what just happened? Mm. You know, 
why didn't why did they respond that way? Well, why would they do? It, and it, it it really is beautiful. It's very It is. I think it allows and this might be a little bit off topic, but I think it allows us to actually see the other person, see ourselves in the other person because that I mean I think that's where when we say God is love. I mean when we what do we talk about when we say we love somebody? I I my, my understanding of love is that I can when I look at that other person, I see oneness. So this idea of oh that I see myself in this person. I actually see myself in this person. That's where we have this sense of connection, of oneness, of love. And I'm like, what, what do we, th- there's never been a time that we need this more than now. And especially in our public discourse, I think right. about our political conversations, all the, it, it, you know, where it gets really, really bad is when people, they, they so demonize the other side and, you know, and it's like, oh, them and th- these people. And, but it's like, wait a minute, wait, 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 if you didn't have anything to prove, if if you were just totally like at rest, which is a place of rest that you, when you have nothing to prove, you can go, let me hear what you're trying to say. Even if you totally disagree, like, okay, I'm listening to what you're saying. Like I'm hearing what you're saying, but how do you get to that place? You know, to where you can see yourself in the other person that's actually opposing you. It's, and it has nothing to do with agreeing with them. It's just like, wow. Okay. I can actually see the trans where they're coming from the heart of where they're coming from. And when we can see that other person, that's when we, we move into a state of love because we see ourselves there. We go, that's, uh, I see myself right there with you. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's really yeah. strange. It's really hard to do when you're demonizing the other side. Um, yeah. And again, this, Absolutely. this, we have- yeah. Okay. Well, I think, I think about that, like okay. even just in the political conversations, you know, when we're, when we're, when we're talking about, let's say we're talking about the president, let's say we're talking about evangelical Christians, let's say we're talking about, it's like, okay, well, let's take a minute and go, okay, not, not that it has nothing to do with agreement, but like, can I see myself there and how, and, and, and am I okay to do, okay, let me look beyond all of this and say, where, where do I resonate with the roots of where they're coming from? Even if it's a fear. Okay, where does fear come from? It's 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 because they value something that, and of course, the fear is coming in because there's a sense of lack in that area, and that produces fear because they're afraid of losing something or whatever. But it's like, okay, but what is it that you value? Get to the root of that and sit with that in that place. I just think that's why Jesus was so good with sitting with people who I'm sure he disagreed with. By the way, I mean he disagreed with Simon the Pharisee. Um, he disagreed with, I would even say some of the, you know, maybe the pro- prostitutes, tax collectors, why were they doing what they were doing? Uh, well, yeah, I don't, oh, I yeah. wouldn't say Jesus agreed with that. <laughs> uh, however, he could right. sit with these people because he knew the roots of where that was coming from and probably had felt that within himself as well. Um, and I know he did. Well, because, and, yeah. and I, and I think also because, um, he had a servant ethic, he had a servant's mindset. And when you have a servant mindset, it, it, it's it's not that you like have this like oh poor me or like this uh, it's like a mopey I'm serving but no it's like really I'm serving this person whether I agree with them or not whether I think they're way the fuck out there or whether I think they have harmful ideas like you can still that can still not affect you and who you are at your core which I think is the embodiment of canonic love you know what I mean like like it, it, that's his orientation towards others regardless of where they're at. And it's not going to change. And, you know, it's like your story with your dad. Like you were at that moment, Jamal, it seems that that nothing your dad was going to do is going to uh, uh, change mm-hmm. the the lens through which you saw things. And I, and I think it's probably because you had a, um, yeah. 
you had an identity. You 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 knew your identity. You knew your essence. Yeah. You knew your worth. You had your heart in the right space. You know, probably from a lot of meditation and introspection and all that good stuff that we need to have to get to these places because right. it is difficult. It is difficult. But yeah, um, Which, uh, yeah. and see, you're exactly right. See, here's I was going to say it it goes it really does go back to how do you see yourself yes so like in the in the political argument for example like i'm doing these united we stand events and i'm trying to help christians understand like why do we get into these uh this political tribalism and how it divides us and all this stuff and it really does it goes back to you it goes back to like if you see yourself as i my identity is i'm a conservative well then everybody else so that's an us Right. And everybody who, who is like you and thinks the way you do is us. And that means you're good. You're smart. You're kind. You know, you like uh, puppies and kittens and, ba- and babies and you're human. You're more human. But if you're a them and you're not like me, which is my identity, or you're outside my identity sphere. Well, then you're a them. And then I can demonize you. And you're, how can you even be that way? You must be stupid or, or evil or 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 or. Right. And so it, so it really goes back to how do I define myself? Yeah, and until I see myself, someone who doesn't take a label, I'm not going to to identify myself as a member of this tribe, whatever that tribe happens to be. Now I'm free to say I'm because I'm not in one of those boxes. I don't treat you that way either. I don't see you that way. Yeah, and I think the key to the, the key to knowing yourself is I think we have to look go back to Jesus, Philippians two, that passage where it says, "Have the same mind," and then it goes on to ta- talking about being yeah. equal with God. This is where it gets crazy. This is where it's going to challenge people because if you're going to have the same mind of Jesus, then that means we have to have the same mind, (laughs) which is, oh, so it's, so equality with God is not something I need to grasp for. No, because people are grasping for that in the world. That's what causes all the wars, all the, all the conflict, all the drama, all the stuff is people are grasping. So the question is like, man, you don't need to grasp. Do you know who you are? Like, seriously, I want to tell that to Donald Trump. So I want to look at the guy. I want to be like, man, do you know who you are right now? Because you're actually sitting, first of all, from a very practical level, you're sitting in the highest elected office that you can get to. Like, you don't really need to worry about what this guy is saying to you on Twitter. <laughs> Seriously. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, who? remember who you are. You're actually the president of the United States. I, don't th- I think you forgot that. <laughs> and I, again, this is like, yeah, if people, if you're comfortable with who you are, like the stuff just slides. It's like, whatever, yeah. like, what? so, so what? <laughs> and that's how yeah. you can have that yeah. mind Absolutely. of Christ, of Christ, of the, of, of how this is what, I don't think Jesus was rattled by what people thought of him because he knew who he was. Yeah. And we, we can have the same mind. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're the same. Yes. Yes, we can. And if you agree with us or disagree with us, it's all good because that's what we're doing here on the show, which is why we have a Facebook group. So, yeah. Carry on that conversation with us there. Let us know what your thoughts are are on Kenosis. Uh, share some blogs. Do all that good stuff because there's a lot to say about this topic. And uh, so that's what the group's for. Go find us. We also have a website. Make sure you check it out. It's got a store. It's got all the episodes on there. Uh, a bunch of other cool shit on there. So that's heretichappyhour.com. Please check it out. That's right. And if you cannot get enough of these conversations and you just want to hear more extra uh, conversations, bonus content we record, or bonus interview uh, footage that we don't put out on the actual podcast, we have a place for you. It's called the Patreon page. So go to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash heretic happy hour, and you will get so much awesome stuff. I mean, bonus interviews with 
David Bentley Hart, um, Brian Zahn, Jim Palmer, plus extra stuff we talk about when the uh, when we you know turn this thing off. It's really cool. So go go to the Patreon page. And by the way, we have two brand new supporters. I want to say a huge thank you to Joshua Jones and Jonathan Pierce. Thank you guys for supporting us on Patreon. I want to enjoy all that awesome crap. Also, I just want to announce that the Heretic Happy Hour is actually a podcast. So that means we're, we're on Apple iTunes. We're on iTunes. So you can go to iTunes because we're there because we are a podcast. And you can rate it and write a review because we that we really that really helps a huge so please do that if you haven't done that is yet. this being recorded hang on is the light on 